Welcome into another episode of the Ohio State of Mind. Micah Flack and Tyler Danberg along with you for an after Thanksgiving edition, especially after the game as well. And Tyler, how was Thanksgiving? Micah, Thanksgiving was great. Ate a lot, watched a lot of football. Hopefully everybody else did and, and were able to enjoy themselves. How was yours? It was very good. Saw a lot of good basketball going on, a lot of good football. Got a little bit of Friday football as well. Just very good all around. Nothing beats Feast Week. Nothing beats it. Maui Invitational was probably the best that tournament has ever been. Ohio State men's basketball played in it last year, and it was great. This year was even better. Emerald Coast Classic was great as well, especially if you're tuning this at tuning into this as a Buckeye fan. So it was a fun week of hoops. Now, it was, a, it was a tough week if you're just an Ohio fan in general. The Cleveland Browns lose to the Denver Broncos, then Ohio State loses the game to Michigan, and we'll touch more on that here in a little bit. But I think you got to be happy for an Ohio State fan with how men's basketball played. Like you said, they go to the Emerald Coast Classic, and they beat an Alabama team that was shooting over 40% from three. This is a good Alabama team, four and one, number 17 in the country. And you get some of your best performances of the season if you're Chris Holman. You look at Bruce Thorne, a career high. Roddy Gale Jr., a career high. And Felix Akpara finished with 10 rebounds. And Tyler, this has really been the question over the past couple of years for Ohio State and Chris Holman is can you win the big games and can you find a way to do it while shooting the ball effectively and they have been able to do that yeah Chris Holtman in his career at Ohio State in the regular season he's knocked off some number one teams you go back to Michigan State a few years ago with Miles Bridges two years ago against number one Duke in the Schottenstein Center and they get a big signature win as they just boat raced Alabama, a number 17 team, 92-81 against an Alabama offense under Nate Oates that plays unequivocally fast. That's one of their identities as a team. They will run up and down the floor. They're well-conditioned. They play at a pace that is almost unparalleled among any in the country, and OSU outplayed them. I mean, you look at the backcourt altogether, Bruce Thornton, career-high 29 points. Roddy Gale with a career-high 23 points. I think that this past week proved, Micah, that they might be a top-three backcourt in the Big Ten, maybe a top-ten backcourt in the country. You look at A.J. Hogard, Tyson Walker at Michigan State, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. you got to put Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale Jr. up there in the conversation in this conference. And this has been a huge thing for Ohio State. You look at Andy Katz of the Big Ten Network, one of the premier analysts in the sport, ranked Ohio State in his top 36 at number 22. And they have just found a groove. Bruce Thorne over the tournament averaged 20 points and five and a half assists while Roddy Gale Jr. was named to the all-tournament team and he just got help all around I think during the beginning of the season it was a little bit of questions Dale Bonner just trying to fit in figure out where he can be on this team Jamison Battle really was hoping he would shoot more and against Santa Clara they boat raced them had 46 percent from three and this is a team Tyler that made 10 threes over two games and they got a lot of help everyone contributing in the starting five and off the bench well you said the magic word there Jamison Battle there was a lot of talk as to 
why he's not shooting the ball as much because he's just got such a sweet touch. Well, he really started to execute that against the Broncos. 21 points on 8 of 18 shooting, and he sank five three balls. If you can get that guy going at the three, some special things can happen for this Chris Holtman-led squad. And you just look at the front court. You talk about how good the back court is. You look at the front court as well. Zed Key and Felix Akpara dominated inside, especially against Santa Clara, where they won by 30 points. They combined 9 for 12 from the floor. A key finished with 10 points and 5 rebounds, where Akpara had 8.7 rebounds and 3 blocks. Akpara getting at least a block a game. And this is just a team that has seemed to figure it out and really come it together. We mentioned Felix Akpara last season in many broadcasts and during podcasts, just how much of a true freshman he was, how good he can be as a true freshman, but also the mistakes he's had. And he seemed to figure it out, especially with the guidance of Zed Key. Absolutely, Micah. And I think the Akpara key dynamic at the center position is so interesting because if one of those guys is not being necessarily productive against a certain team, then you bring in the other. And I think that Zed Key is kind of the perfect foil to Felix Akpara. Akpara is a great rim protector. He added over 20 pounds of muscle this offseason, which definitely helped. But he's got a little bit more size and length to him. Key is a bruiser down low. He's got a good touch around the rim. He's six foot eight. He lost a significant amount of weight. And I think that's kind of added some more speed and mobility to his six eight frame. So they're kind of two polar opposites as big men, yet they complement each other so well. So Chris Holtman and his staff, they can go big by having those guys out on the floor with Evan Mahaffey, the Penn State transfer. They can go to the other if one isn't being as productive. So I think that's another reason as to why teams can be so successful in the Big Ten. It is still a big man's league, and the more different looks you can get at the four and five positions, the better you can be in conference play, which is something that this team needs to get into. We know they can play great non-conference ball and at the start of the season, but can they stay healthy? Can they get through a gauntlet of a Big Ten schedule? Those are going to be the key question marks facing this team. And now they'll get to come back, have a good stretch, three games at home, Central Michigan first, then Minnesota to start the Big Ten season, and then Miami of Ohio. Now let's transition to probably the biggest elephant in the room, Tyler, and the guys for SGSR were there at the broadcast at Michigan Stadium. Ohio State travels, loses its third game in a row, the first time since 1997 that the Michigan Wolverines beat Ohio State three times in a row. That year, Michigan ended up sharing a title of the national championship. They'll look to do that this year. But you go to Ohio State and Ryan Day, and there's been a lot of questions surrounding the program now. Just not aggressive enough is what a lot of people have been saying in a 30 30- 24 loss. Tyler, what did you see? Well, we saw Michigan want it. They were intense from the start to the finish. They played gritty football. I believe both teams did. Um, You saw on that final possession that Michigan had offensively, they just continued to pound the rock. And we knew that coming in. They were going to have such a strong rushing offense, 156 rush yards compared to Ohio State's 107. Both teams ran the ball well. But in the end, 
the Buckeye defense, which had come into the game, second in scoring defense, top five total defense in the country, they just couldn't get off the field. And that was the key. Michigan had seven more minutes of possession time. And again, I think time of possession plays such an important in a game like this when it's separated by six points. The Wolverines chewed out the clock. And the Buckeyes, well, they were marching up the field. And it was kind of reminiscent of that Notre Dame win, running that one-and-a-half-minute drill this time instead of two minutes. And then that Rod Moore interception took the wind out of that drive. And very unfortunate if you're an Ohio State fan, you look at Rod Moore, I could have said we could have had him almost a three-star recruit from Ohio, developed him so well, the Michigan program has. And I think a lot of the times you look at Ohio State, it's just like, what are we doing? You look at 2021, 2022, you bring in Jim Knowles, and it's kind of one of something I want to mention. I think a lot of people focus on the offense and Kyle McCord had a couple plays that were just very bad. He just was looking at one read. But I want to change to the defense very quickly. Jim Knowles on 23 pressures. Only four of those pressures were on the blitz. And I'm pretty sure, quote me if I'm wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, that on all four of those blitzes, J.J. McCarthy did not complete the pass and I think of a lot of Ohio State fans are wondering why where did they not blitz enough? Last season, of course, they blitzed a lot trying to focus on a Michigan run game, and they have figured it out how to pass. Holston Loveland came alive, so did Cornelius Johnson. But now you turn to this year, and they're just not aggressive enough. And, and do you think that's you know maybe just a mentality thing? They're worried about the past two years. What do you think happened on defense? I think maybe you are a little cognizant of that big play, that big strike ability that handed Ohio State two losses last year. So maybe you see them get a little bit more conservative. They also were really aggressive with the interior defensive linemen. I think Mike Hall Jr., who came into that game leading all Ohio State defensive players in quarterback pressures, he played probably his best game as a Buckeye since week one of 2022 against Notre Dame. Him and Tyleek Williams, they found a way to get past those different A and B gaps and get past the right guard and left guards. Trevor Keegan and Zach Zinter, by the way, great to see Zach Zinter okay. We send our best and great to see because he's team captain, all Big Ten, and you never want to see anybody go down regardless of rivalry game or not. But nonetheless, Mike Hall and Tyleek Williams played a strong game. I, so to go back to your point, I, I think maybe, you know, they were keeping in mind the big plays they've allowed in the past, and maybe that's kind of been a battle scar. But you're right. I think the pressure was an issue because they finished that regular season with just 22 sacks. That's in the bottom quadrant in the Big Ten. And that's not to say that they weren't getting pressure on the quarterback, but the four-man rush allowed J.J. McCarthy to buy a little bit more time. And it seemed like when he bought more time, that's when he completed some of those passes. Like when he rolled out to the right sideline and he had Cornelius Johnson steal Chambers bit at the final effort. And then McCarthy put it a little bit away from Chambers where he couldn't really get his hands up, make the interception. It's first down Michigan. So we also saw those types of plays where the pocket collapsed. McCarthy got out. The pressure couldn't adapt and they got the first down. 
And Michigan was very comfortable. You could see, especially on the outside, that you weren't attacking Roman Wilson a lot. Yes, you got that one play and a lot of questions regarding that. That could be its own segment. But, you know, Denzel Burke wasn't getting tested and neither was on the other outside. And you just look at what Michigan was able to do over the middle of the field. They were content, Tyler, taking shots against Tommy Eichenberg, Steel Chambers, and Sonny Styles with their two tight ends. This is what they love to do. A.J. Barner, the transfer from Indiana, and Colston Loveland. You know, you just look at what they like to do. And I think there's a lot of pressure on the linebackers. I think a lot of people are questioning, well, was Tommy Eichenberg even prepared for this game? You know, he was hurt in the Rutgers game, but Ohio State very secretive about their players and their injuries. So was he really ready? Steel Chambers has had some issues over this season. And and Michigan was very content, I would say, on offense, striking over the middle with their tight ends. Yeah, the, the tight end play was certainly something to note, and you knew that the Wolverines were going to go with it. They love their 12 personnel. They love using Max Bredesen as an exclusive blocking back. But I, I think, to the offensive scheme, Michigan just let it rip. They got tricky. They threw in different wrinkles that you expected both teams to have coming into a rivalry game like this, and the Buckeyes did not have really many wrinkles. I think that there were a couple different turning points in that game. Obviously, the Rod Moore interception, that's one. I think the Will Johnson interception in that first quarter really flipped the script of that game. But then when the Buckeyes tightened the gap in the second half, that trick play, the Donovan Edwards pass to Colston Loveland down the right side, I think transcended the game. That was the longest play for Michigan in that ball game by... 12 yards and it was just one of those wrinkles that Michigan brought that Ohio State didn't expect the other one being that 20 yard run by Alex Orgy who's the fourth string quarterback behind Jack Tuttle and Jaden Denigal I mean we didn't even see that on our spotting boards can't imagine what Ohio State saw defensively the Buckeyes on the flip side they didn't bring a lot in terms of those wrinkles, I think that's another thing that helped decide the game was the creativity and the execution of those types of plays. And Michigan just were able to figure it out. You know, that emotional charge play with Blake Quorum running it, but huge throws up the 6-5 after the 14-yard touchdown run. And, and you have to give credit where credit is due to Sharon Moore. You know, the acting head coach, the offensive coordinator, the uh, the line coach and just what he was able to do. They Tyler, they were three for three on fourth down. This was someone who didn't have any pressure surrounding him, like Jim Harbaugh and the sign stealing scandal and the recruiting violations. This was a coach that's like, we're going to go aggressive and I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. To your point, like you mentioned earlier, they wanted it more than what Ryan Day did, and and I, you have some questions for Ryan Day now. The you know, that that field goal with fielding, you know, his longest of the season, 50 yards, 52, you know, on that final drive with 30 seconds left. They were marching down the field in that second half. Jerome Moore iced him. They made the first one, missed the second one. And, you know, you it was fourth and short, two as well, fourth and two, one of those plays in the in the second half, first half. 
and you just look at what Ryan Day has done, you know, it, it, I just wonder where was Ryan Day, the Ryan Day from Notre Dame, where he's calling out Blue Holtz, he's being emotional, and he's being aggressive. Yes, I think he wants to be more understand as a leader. He's not going to be a Jim Tressel, Urban Meyer. I'm going to put it on my sleeve, and I'm going to, you know, talk my talk. But there's some questions to be had about Ryan Day. One and six now in top five matchups. One and three against Michigan. You know, at the end of the day, does it fall on Ryan Day? Is he what? What needs to happen in the offseason? There's still some chances they could make the playoffs. But let's say they're in offseason mode. Is Ryan Day getting some heat? Is he firing someone like Parker Fleming right now? Is James Laurinaitis finally gonna? get a full-time spot on the staff. You know, what is happening with this Ohio State staff right now? Well, I'm sure Ryan Day is going to take a hard look at his staff, and I think there are going to be changes. There's no doubt about it. I think game management is going to be another thing that this staff takes a look at. Uh, That Jaden Fielding uh, kick, you can see why they made the decision. He's got a lot of trust in the guy who had previously set a career-high 47-yard field goal the previous week because he made the first. He drained it. He had plenty of leg the second time. It was just wide left. But again, you got to think in the moment, what are the downsides to each scenario and which downsides outweigh each situation? But obviously, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. And if Jaden Fielding makes that field goal, Ohio State's already in field goal territory on the final possession. They send Fielding out to win the game. And it's a totally different story. And Ryan Day is getting praised. And I think, again, that's kind of the interesting thing about coaching and why coaches get flack, why coaches get praised. You can make the same argument for Dan Lanning with Oregon against Washington, had they converted that fourth down, iced the game, it's a totally different perception of the Oregon program. It's a totally different perception of the college football playoff scope. So I think that's where coaches get into kind of those uh, murky waters. Now, Ryan Day is 56-7. and There's no doubt about it. The stat, though, 1-6 and in those big games, those top 10, top five matchups, that certainly is something of concern. The hot seat might warm up a little bit, but it's certainly out of the picture, at least in my opinion, that you fire the guy. But I think Ryan Day going into next year against Michigan, that's certainly going to have a lot of implications. And Micah, if the Buckeyes can slip into the playoff this year, kind of like last year, but it will require some more teams to win or lose. I think there's going to be a lot more pressure to win this game than it was last year against number one, Georgia. Now, like you said, you know, he's got some options to figure out maybe some coaching adjustments. Now let's turn. I think a lot of Ohio state fans are probably tired of hearing the recap of the game. Let's turn to the future. Let's turn to the present, especially tomorrow, the playoff rankings very quickly. Let's just touch on it. And there's some questions to be had. And I think there's a lot of questions to be had. Michigan, you lose, you're probably still in. You know, Georgia, you lose to Alabama, you're probably still in. Florida State without Travis, you know, without Jordan Travis, 
I think they could still have that benefit of the doubt, but they're clearly not one of the top four teams. You're winning in for Washington or Oregon. I, I, you could even make the case if Washington loses, they might still be in town. You look at their schedule. They beat Arizona, who's now ranked. They played them in the season when they weren't ranked. They beat Oregon. They beat USC when they were ranked. Beat Utah ranked. And Oregon State when they ranked. They beat a Boise State team who's 7-5, and five, but they're playing for a Mountain West title. And then Washington State, 5 and seven but that's a very good team with cam ward so and then you look at texas i think this is the back half of this college football playoff rankings are where the questions really are at you know texas if they beat oklahoma state are they in over ohio state alabama if they beat georgia probably one of the most underrated teams that isn't really getting talked about with a Nick Saban team. You know, what is your thoughts going into tomorrow night and where do you think Ohio state needs to be and has to be to make the playoffs? Well, I think the AP ranking matches the CFP ranking. I think Ohio state is in sixth and I think that's very fair. Now, granted, the fact of the matter is, is that although they're not playing in the conference championship, they lost on the final possession to a top three team and a favorite to win the Big Ten championship. I think for Texas, you win and you're in. For Ohio State, in my opinion at least, and I want to hear your thoughts, what I think needs to happen for them to make the playoffs is that Georgia needs to win. Michigan, it really doesn't matter what happens at this point. Washington certainly needs to win. And then Florida State needs to lose. And I and I I think I think that's where OSU can can factor in. Uh Texas will also need to lose because that win over Alabama and then a conference title looms large. I mean, they they are a they are five seconds away against Oklahoma from probably being a top three team in the country right now. So if Texas wins, they're in. Uh, My thoughts with Ohio State is where's the committee? The problem, I will speak my mind on this. My problem with the committee is you have a bunch of ADs and presidents and they're the de facto answer. And it's been clear throughout this season on multiple occasions, there's been SEC bias. You look at Tennessee, they're seven and four and truly have no right to be ranked right now. And you look at Ole Miss, are they really the 12th best team in the country? LSU at 14. Is that really just because Jane Daniels is that guy? And my question is, Alabama, yes, they win on a miracle to Auburn, but you win and you're 11 and one. The question will be, you know, Alabama has two top 15 wins according to the college football playoff rankings in Ole Miss and LSU, and they have considerably one of the best losses in the country to number seven Texas currently. If the college football playoff committee puts Alabama over Ohio State, that means they put Texas over Ohio State. If Ohio State is eighth, In the college football playoff rankings, I would dare say there is no possible way they make it. Now, if they are sixth, I think they can because a two-loss Oregon, I would be surprised if they're in. I think if Texas loses, they're out. Florida State loses, they're out. But I would be very surprised on what happens with that. And I I think, too, this year certainly – there are too many undefeated and one loss teams for there to be a two loss team in the playoff, even if it comes from the Pac 12. 
And now let's wrap it up in time for the Ohio State of Mine of Buckeye stickers. Tyler, who do you got? Let's go with women's hockey. They are on a roll. They lost their first game of the season to Colgate on September 30th, number four Colgate as well. Since then, the Buckeyes have not lost. They have a major winning streak going on right now. They swept the number one team in the country, Wisconsin. Then, this past weekend, they sweep number six, St. Lawrence. This is the second series of three straight against top 10 opponents. They are currently 4-0 going into St. Cloud State. You talk about a statement partner, a program record, 11 goals against St. Lawrence in game one. And then they come back, and you th- you're thinking maybe they have a little bit of a hangover. Well, no, they beat St. Lawrence again, 5-1. Jocelyn Amos, the freshman, WCHA Rookie of the Week. Hadley Hartman's Defender of the Week. Amos had three goals in that series. Hadley Hartman's had four assists against St. Lawrence. This Ohio State team, he can make the argument that this is the best that Nadine Muzzerall has had in her career. And in the last three years, which includes a national championship two years ago and a national runner-up last year. Now, I'm going to switch it over a little bit and go back to something we talked about previously. I'm going to do the entire Ohio State men's basketball team. I think there's just too much to choose from, and what they did in the Emerald Coast Classic is something to admire. Being Santa Clara, a good team there, and then beating number 17 Alabama and holding Alabama, a team that was over 40% three-point shooting, to only making nine of 30 shots from beyond the arc. And this is a team that had got Bruce Thorne played amazing. Roddy Gale Jr., Zed Key, Dale Bonner, Jamison Battle. And I think this is a tournament they had to win. Chris Holtman is facing a lot of pressure, has never made it to the Sweet 16, knows how to recruit, but has just not been able to win a Big Ten conference title, nor a tournament title, nor make it past the round of 32. And my question will be for them is, well, what can they do in January? This is a team last year that was 10-3 and going into that month and had a very bad stretch of 1-15. and But so far, Tyler, they are one of the top teams in the country. They really are. They come into this next stretch of home games, 29th in the country, right on the cusp of the AP Top 25. And how about Ohio State basketball as a whole, Micah? 4-0 during... Thanksgiving tournaments, the Buckeyes go out to the Bahamas in women's basketball, so jealous of Kevin McGuff and the team, and they go out and they blank East Carolina and Oklahoma State by over 20 points in each of those games, and then they beat Cornell. So ever since that loss to USC, who continues to surge up the top 25, this Buckeyes squad has not lost. And that will do it here for us on the Ohio state of mind micah flack and tyler danberg along with you and thank you again for tuning in to another episode and we'll catch you on the next one